So, our new study uh, for the year on Wednesday nights is going to be in the book of 1 John. So, if you find that, but tonight, besides going to 1 John, we're actually going to start where we were on Sunday in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So, if you'll turn to both of those, 1 John chapter 1 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. One of the things that God has been continually impressing upon me uh, at the end of last year, leading into this year, again, in my own personal life, and I say that first, more than even in how I'm approaching my study and in transmitting the Word of God to you all and in, in teaching and all of that, God has been impressing even upon me personally to continue to slow down and not rush through the Word of God. Um, so that's why it's going to take us probably even longer than normal, than you're used to with me, to get through a book like 1 John and 1 Thessalonians on Sundays, because we're going to take our time. Um, I think too often as Christians, we don't go slow enough in the Word of God. And we miss so much. And so God continues to impress upon me to just take the word of God slow. In fact, I'm going to give you sort of a, a picture I want you to put in your mind that, that may be helpful. I want you to think this year of your relationship with God's word as dancing a slow dance with the Word of God. Okay? Not a fast dance. A slow dance with the Word of God. One of the reasons why this is important for us as Christians to learn to do and to not just rush through is because the Bible teaches that every Word of God was chosen purposefully. In fact, in Proverbs 30, verse 5, Solomon writes, Every word of God was spoken by him to refine us or purify us. Every word. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Each and every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If every word God spoke in His Word was purposeful, then we need to slow down and not rush through the Word of God. Take our time. We miss so much when we rush through the Word of God. And that's why I encourage Christians with their devotions, don't get up every morning just to, to do it and rush through it and then go off to school or work or whatever your responsibilities are and, and not really have, have danced with it, if you will, and, and let, it, let it sink in, let it penetrate in some way. It would be better for us to let a few words really grab hold of us that day than to read a whole chapter and leave the chapter and not really have anything that sort of stays with us, if you will. With that said, the reason why I wanted to start in 1 Thessalonians tonight 
is one of the verses we looked at on Sunday actually is a great introduction to why a study of 1 John is important. Uh, In verse 4, we talked about how God has chosen us. He's divinely selected us with a purpose in mind. And we're going to talk more about that Sunday because I had many people come up to me or talk to me after the message say, I, I want to get more involved with the church. I want to get more connected. with it. How, how do I know what my purpose is? How do I do that? We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. So hang in there as far as that goes. But then notice in verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul is relating how there was this synergy, if you will, between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the missionary team that went into Thessalonica, and then those that were receptive to the ministry of these missionaries. And so he says it in this way, verse 5, in that our gospel, the good news from God, did not come to you merely in words, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, and then notice this phrase, and with deep conviction. That's the reason why 1 John is so important. Because 1 John was written by John for us as believers in Jesus Christ to develop deep convictions. Many Christians do not have deep convictions. It speaks about a most certain confidence about what we believe and why we believe it. It speaks about being fully assured. You and I are not going to, to in a sense, give other people confidence about what we believe if we have very little confidence about what we believe. And so John came along and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit... He needed to write a letter to these recipients in 1 John that was going to sort of ground them, solidify them, put them on solid ground so that they would have these deep convictions and have more confidence and more assurance about what they believe in and why they believe it. And obviously this is so relevant and timely for us today because many Christians today struggle with this. If they were honest, they would say, I'm not confident in what I believe and why I believe it. I don't have, nor have I ever really developed those deep convictions and have that full assurance. If someone were to question my beliefs, it would probably unsettle me, you see. And so that's why 1 John is so important. So taking that phrase out of 1 Thessalonians as a a great reason, if you will, why a study of 1 John is so important, remember that throughout our study. It was with deep conviction that this missionary team came into Thessalonica. And therefore, one of the reasons why God was able to use them so powerfully to, to, uh, to penetrate and to make a difference in these Thessalonian believers was because the Thessalonians saw this deep conviction, this most certain confidence, this full assurance that Paul and Silas and the other apostles had. 
And that's what makes our witness and testimony, if you will, so powerful. When people can see the confidence, not the cockiness, not the pride, but the confidence we have in what we believe it and, and why we believe it, you see. So go with me now to 1 John. And again, before we actually get into chapter 1, verse 1, this is again the background or backdrop of why this was even timely in John's day. And think about this, when John was writing this, this was probably only 30 or 40 years removed from the time that Jesus was on earth. So even in just that amount of time, notice what already was happening in the church. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children. That's a term of a teacher to his disciples. Children. It is the last hour. And just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have appeared. We know from this that it is the last hour. Folks, that was 2,000 years ago. How much closer is it even now? They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us because if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but they went out from us to demonstrate that all of them do not belong to us. So Notice something here. The... The spreading of false doctrine, the, the, the prominence of false teachers and false prophets, antichrists, who were teaching things that were subverting the, the cause of Christ and the word of God and, and, and the moving of God and all of that. Again, even very close to when Jesus was on earth, it was rampant already. And notice something. That the false teaching, if you will, and all of these antichrists did not arise outside the church. They arose, according to John, inside the church. Because that's the ones that are most dangerous. The ones who, in a sense, have been part of the church, say, in name only, and have learned enough about the Word of God to be dangerous, and yet by not being grounded themselves and solidified in what they believe, they get caught up in these false teachings and false doctrines and then begin to spread it and cause much damage, you see. In fact, in all the years that I dealt with people in cults, 90% of the people who end up in cults have some kind of background in the Christian church. But they were never brought to a place through their spiritual growth and maturity and discipleship and mentoring and all that where they had deep conviction and where they were fully assured And where they were most certainly confident about what they believed and why they believed it. And therefore they were very susceptible to false teaching and to false prophets and misinformation and misrepresentation about who God is and what the Bible teaches. And folks, if that was true 30 years after Jesus walked this earth, how much truer is it today? We have so much out there, even 
taught in the name of God from churches and from pulpits and from ministries all over the world that are damaging. And it does not line up with the Word of God. And so that's why 1 John is such an important, important book for us. Because what John wants to do in this letter is he wants to present, if you will, the, the, the basic foundation of all that we believe as followers of Jesus Christ in such a, a powerful and clear and plain way that those who are willing to receive it and accept it and embrace it and, and even study it themselves and, and all of this will have that foundation for the rest of their Christian life. And won't be so easily, as Paul says, tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. And again, it's so needed because, because the Word of God is not taught at, at a deep level much anymore, even people that go to church probably feel very sort of insecure about even the basic tenets of our faith. And so John comes along at a really, I think, key time. And I, I firmly believe it. This is why God led me to open up this year with a study of First John. And here's what I'd like to do tonight. I'd like to read the first four verses of 1 John. Then I have a question for you. Yes. I'm actually going to make you think. Bless your heart, you come here, and then I'm making you think too. So read along with me. The introduction to the letter. This is what we proclaim to you, what was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes and what we've looked at and our hands have touched concerning the word of life. And the life was revealed and we have seen and testify and announced to you the eternal life that was with the Father and revealed to us. What we have seen and heard we announce to you too so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. Thus we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, I don't know whether we're going to get through all four verses tonight. We probably won't. We might not even get through verse 1, but we're going to take it slow. But here's the question I have for you. This is an introduction to a letter. What did you see or here, or maybe I should even say it this way, what do you not see or did you not hear in those first four verses that is unusual, especially when you compare it to other letters or other books in the New Testament? Anybody? Okay, a greeting. Brothers and sisters. Yeah, we, we don't even have even a clear view of who is writing, who they're writing to. But let's even take another step back. What else is missing? 
There's no mention of who. Yeah. There's no mention of who's writing. There's no mention of the author at all in those first four verses. I mean, most of the other letters in the New Testament, I mean, you know, Paul, this is from Paul, or, you know, this is, this is Peter talking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the author here, and I'm, there's no mention of who the author is at all. Very unusual. In fact, there's only one other book in the New Testament that has no mention of an author at all. And that is the book of Hebrews. God bless you. You remember that. In fact, you can go through all five chapters of 1 John and guess what? You'll never see John's name at all. Very unusual. One of the reasons why this is is because when this was written, John was so well known that he didn't need to sign his name to this letter. And I don't want to take a lot of time tonight to get into it, but the reason we know that this was written from the Apostle John is because there is tons of what we call external evidence of his authorship, and there is tons of internal evidence. What I mean by external evidence is that those that lived close to the time that this was written and soon after all accepted that this was a letter from the Apostle John. All the early church fathers, the early church, all unanimously said this is the real deal from John. So that's external evidence. But there's also a lot of internal evidence. The language that John used in the Gospel of John, in the other letters that he wrote in the New Testament, like 2 John and 3 John, and the book of Revelation, all match up to the theology and the grammar and everything that John used in this book as well. You see. So there, even though his name does not appear, okay, we believe again and are confident and certain that He wrote it, and in fact, he would have been one that, maybe other than Peter, that would have been so well-known and so highly respected because of being, you know, one of the leaders of the disciples that actually walked with Jesus, that they didn't even question his authorship here. He didn't need to say who he was. Which also even, doesn't that even speak to his humility? You know, he didn't come out and go, you guys know who I am, right? I'm John. You know, I'm, I'm the guy that, you know, I walked with Jesus. Although, you'll notice that he does refer to that in those first couple of verses. Because one of the first things that John wants to establish with his readers and the recipients of this letter, all the way down to us 2,000 years later, is that what we believe has an absolutely solid foundation because it has been handed down to us from those who had first-hand acquaintance with and and first-hand experience with Jesus Christ himself. That's why he says in verse 1, We heard him. 
We saw him with our eyes. We looked or literally studied him and we touched him. And notice John isn't even claiming that it's just him. He's saying there was a group of us who were first-hand eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ and his earthly ministry. And we were there. And so the things that I'm going to pass on to you, they're not just somebody that said, well, I heard someone say many, many years ago, and I'm passing on to you second and third and, you know, fourth generation stuff. He said, no, the things that even you and I believe tonight, 2,000 years after Jesus Christ was on earth, can be traced all the way back to the original apostles and disciples who literally were with Jesus on this earth and saw and touched and heard and had that first-hand experience. There is, according to John, a solidarity, if you will, between every Christian that goes all the way back and ties back to the very apostles. John wants you and I to know that. Because that's really important. The false teachers and the false prophets and the antichrists and all the misinformation and misrepresentation of God and of the Bible and stuff all down through the years. Part of the problem is they don't tie themselves back to the very apostles that were with Jesus and their teaching doesn't line up with what the apostles said about Jesus, who were with him. And so John wants to make that very, very clear. Well, let me ask you another question. When you think about the apostle John, what, what things pop into your head about this man that you know from Scripture? Is there something that stands out to you about John, the apostle of Jesus Christ? Apostle of love? Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos and wrote the book of Revelation. Yeah. He remained faithful. Last one. Yeah. One that Jesus loves. Yeah. Your pardon? Courageous. I, I want to share... Two snippets of, of John, too, from, from the Word that I think even ties into what John is saying here about how close he was to Jesus. Remember, he was the one portrayed at the Last Supper as doing what? Leaning upon the very chest of Jesus. That's close. In other words, even in physical proximity... John always seemed to be right there, okay? And then, who was the only disciple, the only disciple that did not cut and run when Jesus was arrested and crucified? Who was the one disciple that was at the foot of the cross? John. 
Remember the conversation even that Jesus had with John from the cross when Jesus looked down and saw his mother Mary and John and says to John, John, she's now your responsibility since I'm going to be gone. And in a sense, Jesus entrusts the care. Obviously, Joseph is off the scene, no longer around. We believe that obviously he died before the crucifixion. And that Jesus is entrusting the care of his mother to this man. That's how close John was to Jesus, you see. So when John comes along, even at this time, again, 30, 40 years after Jesus walked on earth and says, guys, what I am sharing with you and what believers believe can be traced back to me and others who literally touched him and heard him and saw him and studied him. We were with him. I was as close to him as any human being could be. You can trust what I'm saying. You can trust the account that I'm giving you. It really happened this way because I was there. I was part of it. And that's what John wants to emphasize here in 1 John. That's what you and I need to be reminded of. What we believe is not some fairy tale and myth that was made up by, by someone and, and passed down, you know, separated by, you know, centuries. No, we can trace what we believe all the way back to the original source you see. And that's huge. I mean, most of the stuff that you and I and your children and grandchildren even learn in school that is taught as historical fact doesn't have the the evidence to support it that our faith does. You know, and yet somehow we as Christians get intimidated or feel inferior as if it's up to us always to defend what we believe or convince others that this is what we believe when actually it's on them to show us why don't you believe it? They, they were there. They saw it, you see. So that's what John's coming up with here. So notice in verse 1, John says, this is what we proclaim to you. This is an important word for John. You'll notice he uses it again in verse 3 when he says, what we have seen and heard we announce to you. Different translation, but it's the same Greek word. Proclaim and announce. And I want to bring it up here because... This is another important thing. The word proclaim speaks about laying something down, if you will, or, or getting it off of ourself. It's almost trying to describe someone who is, is compelled to say something. And that they're almost carrying around like 
uh, a weight or a burden that needs to be, you know, discharged and given away uh, because as long as they keep it to themselves, you know, they, they have this like, you know, weight on them and they, they, they need to get it off. It, it's sort of the same sort of way we, we say, I've got to get something off my chest. There, there's something that's, that's bothering me so much or that, that I feel compelled from within to share with a person that we, we don't rest until we talk to them about it, okay? That's the concept behind this word. And I understand that and I'm sure you do too. Almost every Sunday and Wednesday, I feel that way. I feel like God has laid a message on me and that I'm sort of carrying it around until I can get rid of it, if you will, and, and lay it at your feet. Then it's like, okay, I, I, get to, I get to get that off, but then God will lay something else on me to, to, to share as well. And we've all been there where God has has sort of led us to where we feel very much that we need to talk to a person about something and we can't rest until we do. And what John obviously felt compelled to talk to people about was the word of life. It was Jesus. And who Jesus was. And who Jesus was to him. And folks, not much has changed in a couple thousand years. God calls us to do the same thing. We may not have literally seen Jesus with our physical eyes or heard Him with our ears or touched Him in a physical way, but what God wants us to be for Him is witnesses. Those who have experienced the reality of God in such a powerful way, with such deep conviction and full assurance and most certain confidence that we can talk to other people about Jesus with confidence. We don't need to talk about church. We don't need to talk about theology. We don't need to talk about religion. But we need to talk to others about Jesus. And God is looking for followers of his who have such a close connection with him that God can lay on us a message of Jesus for us to then give out and proclaim and announce to others. Because the world needs to know who Jesus really is. Because he's the light of the world. He's the savior. He's the deliverer. There is now salvation in no one else. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the Prince of peace. He's the answer. And we need to be willing to talk to people about Jesus Christ and proclaim Him. But you and I can't discharge and, 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 and communicate about something if it's not really real to us. Which is why, going back even to Sunday's message, why God wants to work in us through the Father, through the Son, Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit so that the, the work that God has done in us is so real and so certain 
and all of that, that then we can communicate with, with confidence and certainty and assurance who Jesus is to us and what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus will do for them, which is all John's going to do. So this year, I would like all of us, including myself, to be willing to sort of take a challenge from the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, show me this year, let me seize the opportunity this year, God, to proclaim who you are to others. Give me those opportunities. Let me look for them. Don't let me sit back and, and, and one more year goes by without sharing Jesus with somebody. Because if you and I, as those who know Jesus so well, if we don't share Jesus, who will? Isn't that what Paul said in Romans 10? How shall they hear if no one's willing to proclaim Him? But you and I have to, it has to be so real to us because again, you, you and I can't pass along to others what we're not confident about. We probably won't. But if there's things that you and I have confidence about, not that we know every last thing about it, but, but there's a, a level of proficiency or confidence in something that we feel like we can hold a conversation with somebody about. And every one of us here, Beyond talking about Jesus with somebody, we all have areas in our life that that's true. For instance, with me, there's a lot of areas in this world I will, I, you know, somebody wants to talk to me about technology, forget it, I'm not a techie. Somebody wants to talk to me about computers and stuff, you're going to get over my head real quick. But if you want to sit down and talk to me about the Civil War, I'm confident that I could at least hold my own in that conversation. And then even to get a little bit more specific, you want to talk to me about the Battle of Gettysburg? Oh, I really feel confident about that. You see? So you and I, no matter what that area of expertise or areas of expertise that we feel we have some kind of a, of a knowledge and understanding about, we'll have conversations because we're confident that we at least have that level. And that's why God wants Christians to so know the Word of God and, and walk with Jesus that we feel like we can sit down and at least tell people who Jesus is confidently and what Jesus has done for us. To testify and witness. Because even in John's day, and even many more today, there are many antichrists that are out there in the world. And remember, again, the word antichrist doesn't mean against Christ. It means instead of Christ. It's always a substitute. It's always a counterfeit Christ. Against Christ would be too obvious. Satan doesn't work that way. Satan's very subtle. So anti-Christian theology and stuff is stuff that promotes something instead of, or in place of, or a counterfeit to the real deal. That's what you and I have to be careful of. So John says, 
This is what we proclaim to you. Again, what was from the beginning. Meaning, what I'm going to share with you, I was at the start of it all. I was right there at the beginning of His earthly ministry. That's why He goes on to say, at the end of verse 1, I'm I'm going to talk to you concerning the word of life. The word concerning speaks about a comprehensive consideration of something. That that all the bases around it are sort of covered. In other words, John's saying, I'm not just going to give you a a, a little piece of, of who Jesus is from this angle. I'm going to, because I was so close to him for three years of his earthly ministry, and I was there to firsthand experience it, I'm going to give you a very well rounded, comprehensive view of who Jesus is. Jesus is. Because, as he says in verse 1, we, not just me, we heard him. We saw him with our own eyes. We studied him and we have touched him. Now, interestingly, and we'll close with this tonight, so I guess I will get through one verse. He calls Jesus, at the end of verse 1, the Word of Life. The word for word that he uses here from the Greek language is the word logos. It is a word that expresses the concept of expression. I know I'm doubling myself up here, but that's what it means to, to express. When you and I use words, we're using them to declare or express our mind or our thoughts or our feelings. And so he uses this word, word, to describe Jesus because Jesus is the perfect and full expression, if you will, to declare who God is to us. And it ties in with what John said about him in the Gospel of John. Remember? In the beginning was the what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Therefore, the Word of life, Jesus Christ, that He is declaring, that He has touched, that He has studied, that He has heard, that He has looked at, He is the perfect expression and embodiment of God. But notice, He doesn't call Him the Word of God, though. He calls Him the Word of Life. And again, the word that John uses here for life isn't physical life. It is a word that describes the highest quality of life that is only found in and sustained by God Himself. It's described throughout the New Testament as eternal, or used the name eternal life. Jesus called it abundant life. It's not just living, it's really living. It's living at the highest level. I think that's sometimes what we need to be reminded of. Especially maybe even talking to someone that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. That they may be having life, and they might even be having a good life. We're not saying that their life is terrible without Jesus. They, they probably do have some joys and, and, and life may have you know, been very good. 
But the, the, the difference is that, that Jesus came as the word of life to show us that, that only he can give us the highest quality of life. That anything less than life with Jesus is less than the highest quality that you and I can experience on this earth. And apart from Jesus, we can't experience that life. And so he says, John says, Jesus, I want to I share with you the word of life. I don't want you just to be saved. That's great if you are saved. That's great if you know God. But I want to share with you about Jesus because Jesus came as the word of life to give us abundant life. To give us life at the highest quality it could possibly be. And let's say it, too many Christians for 2,000 years have lived on this earth less than the quality of life that Jesus came to give us. Therefore, we need to pay attention to what John is saying to us. Because according to himself, he, through his walking with Jesus and following Jesus, was able to experience life at the highest level that a human being can experience on earth. And he wants to now share with us and with his recipients how they can experience that life and how you and I can experience it as well. So I hope you'll hang in there with me. Because I am very excited about this study in 1 John. And I can't wait to see what God does in our lives through this study. Thanks, guys, for starting off the new year with me. Let's pray. God, we, we come to you tonight and we thank you, God, that you have come to give us life and life more abundant. And God, I pray tonight that our desire as followers of Jesus Christ wouldn't just be to be satisfied or settle for life like everyone else is living it. To settle for life the way the world lives life. And to even God be satisfied and settle for the way maybe many Christians are willing to live life. But that God, there would be a few of us left on this earth that truly desire to experience your life in a full way. To truly know, even in a fallen world, with a fallen human being, how you and I can tap into the life of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ and have a quality of life that is beyond what we could ever imagine. God, may we not rest until we're willing, God, to do whatever it takes to experience that life. To remove, Lord, whatever obstacles or impediments are in the way to that life. 
and to go after you, Jesus, and, and press into you and follow you in a way, God, that is just so close that, God, all we want is you and the life that you can give to us. That everything else, God, as Paul even said, is refuse. Everything else, God, is, can't even compare to what life in Jesus Christ can provide for us. So God, may we commit ourselves to just go after you like never before. To fellowship with you, to worship you, and to realize, Lord, that outside of you, there really is no living and no life. It is always going to be less than what we could experience through you. God, let John the Apostle inspire us and motivate us this year to go to another level in our spiritual life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.